out, y'all. Can y'all hear me okay? Too cool. I um, My name is Myers Raymer, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, pretty, pretty amazing. My home group is the primary purpose group in Dallas, Texas. It's a bunch of lathered up big book thumpers. And, uh, um, I, some of y'all would dig it. Some, some, some would, would really love it. Um, I don't know how you live up here. It's free. I walked outside just a minute ago dressed just like this, and I was freezing in about three seconds, and I was going, how do you, how do, you do it? I'm as tough as nails right up until you get me cold. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like... Somebody asked me one time, said, Myers, if the zombies come and we're in the end time, how long do you think you'll last? And I went, right up to winter. And then I'm, <laughs> then I'm in some trouble, that's for sure. I want to thank a committee, uh, Terry and, and uh, um, Bucky... Dick, thanks so much for um, your your presentation. That history stuff just kind of... It was Patrick was saying something to me a minute when you were talking. He was whispering something to me. Did you say chicks on sticks? <laughs> we probably need to talk a little bit a- after the thing and try to figure out... Um, <laughs> I do love me some, some Minnesota. Did... did you guys cracked me up. The, um, I'm honored to be here. I, I, I get to, uh, to do this uh, uh, fairly often, and it's just, uh, it, it, never, it never seems to get old. It's, it's just kind of kind of an amazing deal. I will say this, because it's kind of funny, and we'll talk a, l- a little bit about it in a minute. Um, somebody said one time, we were having a conversation, they said, well, when you travel like that, I mean, isn't it cool uh, that A is the same everywhere you go? And I'm going... Part of what you said is true, but let me just tell you something. A is not the same everywhere you go, okay? It depends on where you go, and it tends to be kind of regional. Uh, you, you'll find yourself in situations where, where um, the rooms are full of people who are enthusiastic about the idea of recovery, and then you'll find places like this where you keep looking at the door and seeing if there's a circle triangle on it. Maybe I got into the wrong wrong deal like that. And so um, I've talked to some of the finest um, examples of AA uh, since I got off that plane this afternoon. Uh, it, it just freaks me out. And and it makes this old Texan smile really, really, really big because there's nothing goofier than a conversation with somebody that picks you up at the airport when they talk about, don't you think that just it's meeting makers make it, isn't it? And it, they start sh- all these little aphorisms off the wall. And I'm going, no, oh, oh, can you just take me back to the airport, please? I just, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. It's just, I am, um, I'm a. I'm a third-generation um, uh, alcoholic. Uh, um, my twin brother, also the evil twin, Chris, is also. Some of y'all have have met him, and um, he's in Las Vegas tonight doing a deal. And and I talked to him just a couple of minutes ago, and uh, he said to say hey, and so hey, I will. And uh, it it. Um, I can remember sitting in a place in, in uh, Houston, Texas, when we were both, uh, we were taking our first legal drink. You could drink in Texas at 18 in those days. And I remember sitting there with him, and we were, we were pretty drunk. And I looked at Chris, and I said, you know, we're alcoholics just like Pop, aren't we? And he goes, yep. And I said, well, what are we going to do about it? And he said, we're going to have to stop, but not now. <laughs> and, I, and I go, I, I get that. I mean, I totally... I can totally relate, and it just like it took a, it took a bunch of years. It took a, a bunch of other stuff in the middle of the thing, and, and um, uh, somebody said, "Myers, why did you quit drinking?" I, I quit drinking because I got tired of getting hit. I, I have a big mouth, and I tend to you put a bunch of booze and stuff in it, and I'll say some really, really 
really stupid things. And most of the time, seriously, guys, it's not to a man because I'm not stupid. I don't say stupid things to men, that, especially that are bigger than me, and they all are. It, it, but I can't stop saying stupid things to your girlfriend when you're in the room. And it's just a... It's just a bad deal. Like, guys, I never talked to a girl in my whole life until I got drunk. And the first time I got drunk, uh, because my dad was an alcoholic, I said I was not going to drink. And then I did. And then all of a sudden I could talk to girls and talk to more girls. And to be absolutely truthful, I can't remember a single girl ever talking back, okay? (laughs) I mean, without this beard, I'm uglier than a mud fence. And you don't... Girls just don't talk, and so with it, I'm not much better, but at least you don't see most of it. So it's like, but you all get that, right? I mean, the, the, the booze connected every dot, and all of a sudden things were great, and it was. And I worked as a functioning alcoholic for years and years and years and years. Um, I, I just, I could drink a case of beer, and you'd never know I had anything to drink. I could drink a half a bottle of vodka, and you'd know I'd, I never, I just looked like normal. And then all of a sudden I crossed the line and I'd drink three beers and I couldn't talk and I'd walk into walls and I'd do really, really stupid things. And it, it was just sort of amazing how it all came about at the same time. The, um, I'm a bookbinder by trade. Some of you guys, I, I know some of y'all will be a little shocked. Remember those things that have p- paper in them? You know, like, yeah, oh, wait a minute. Like, here's one, like, like, like a book. Well, I'm a, I'm a bookbinder, maybe the only one you'll ever meet. And, um, and for a bunch of years... Um, we had a really successful business in Dallas. My wife, who I've, we've been married for 37 years yesterday, and um, it's, yeah, it's just, and she's, she's the smart one, always has been, and, um, and so we had built a fine business, and we, for a while, we were kind of the, kind of the, the golden boys of, of uh, restoration work. We were doing work for museums and libraries all over the world, and, um, and it was just a fun gig, and we were raking a bunch of money in, and it was just, it was kind of cool. And then my drinking caught up with me. I decided to go to a party one night. Um, and there had been some things happen. I'd, I'd gotten in some trouble with some little, little fisticuffs with some, some, some folks. Um, it's, anyway, we don't need to talk about it. It was just a, uh, I just kept getting in trouble because I couldn't keep my hands off people. And the cops don't like that. And, and so um, I, I decided to go to a party one night. And I bought this long trench coat. You all see these cheesy westerns with these guys wearing these long, goofy trench coat looking things that go all the way to the ground like that? Well, I bought one of them because it had pockets on the inside. And so I go to this, this thing. I got a bottle of vodka in this pocket and a bottle of vodka in this pocket. I mean, they have an open bar inside. It's a Christmas party for a bunch of people in the graphic arts industry. And I'm thinking, they won't have enough, so I'm going to take some, right? Some of y'all get that, okay? And so, like, it's just, so I, I went ahead and, and walked in, and it didn't take me any time at all to uh, drink too much and start acting a fool. And they finally said, you really have to leave. And I said... I'm not going to tell you what I said, but it, it, it went straight downhill. They took me outside. They carried me by my arms outside and threw me outside into the parking lot. And I landed on my back in this parking lot. And both of those vodka bottles broke. And the vodka is leaking all over the ground like this. Now, they don't have cell phones in those days. This was in the primitive days before cell phone stuff. But they did have Kodachrome. And there were people there with cameras, and they took pictures of them, and how the people word got around. I told my wife that night when I got home, I said, you know, this is probably not going to end well, um, uh, because there were some people taking pictures of me laying out in the parking lot. And she's just, you know, she's just a sweetheart. I, for uh, a solid year, I've been living in the little 
bed at the other end of the hall and she's been living in the big bed at the other end of the house. We're living in the same house. We have a daughter three years old, uh, but we're not sleeping in the same ends of the house uh, because she just she doesn't know what to do with me. And I, and I don't I don't blame her. God love her. I'm surprised that she stayed. And um, so she um, it just gets one of those kind of things where I've got to do something. I've got to get this thing worked out. And, and so I promise her I'm not going to do it anymore. And, and uh, um, you know how that goes. It didn't last very long. Chris, the evil twin, enters the picture now because he lived up there where we were and he started working at the bindery and he got sober. In November of 80, uh, 87, Chris got sober and it freaked me out. He was, he was my drinking buddy. He was my uh, uh, dealer of outside issues. He was my, he was just, I would love to tell you that I was his biggest fan and I was so excited when he got sober, but the reality of it was, guys, I was just, where's your big book, Chris? I'm, I'm just a total D-I-C-K to, to Chris. And, and it's just, two months later, Chris takes me to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I watched the way he lived his life. And you know what? In two months, two, those two months, Chris never tried to sell me the idea of AA. He never tried to sell me on sobriety. All he did was live his life sober with me just watching him every day. He works at the boundary. I'm seeing him like this. And I'm watching him change right in front of my eyes. And I just, I can't figure it out. And so... I was down there one night kind of lurking in the, in the shadows of the bindery and he'd come from a meeting, he'd come back to work and I'm down there just kind of watching him. It's real creepy and, and I'm just kind of looking at him from the shadows and I remember going home that night and saying, I don't know who that is down there, uh, but I want to be like him. Um, I'm going to go to a meeting tomorrow. And so and I didn't have enough nerve to do it. He said, I'll go with you. And so he took me to my first AA meeting. Unlike Chris, who had years and years and years of trying to get to AA and stay in AA, I have one sobriety date, January 15th, 88. I came in, did my deal, um, and fell in love with AA. It was the coolest thing in the world. Big old smoke-filled room. Everybody smoked. Guys, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. I mean, those meetings, I'd light two of them up. I'd sit there like this. I mean, we would just like... It was halfway through the meeting, you couldn't see the ceiling. I mean, it was just crazy. And uh, but the coolest people, and it was just it was just fun stuff. And 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 I got sober. My wife decided that maybe she'd stay. She would, and so we kind of eventually we kind of got back in the same end of the house and had another daughter. Um, and it was just it was just kind of fun. And for a couple of years, it was guys. It was the coolest experience that I'd ever been through in my whole life. Uh, two years, no drink, and I was a happy guy. Now, some of you guys in your stories, y'all kept going. Like from there, you just kept right on going. But I didn't. At, at two years sober, I'm starting to kind of get weird. It's hard to explain. Three years into the gig, I got this love affair with bluebell ice cream. I don't know if they have bluebell ice cream up here, but it's like what God eats every night. Okay, I, I just know that on good authority. It's like. I'm eating a half a gallon ice cream every night, sitting in front of TV set. I'm gaining 25 pounds, and it's all right here eating this ice cream. And, and my wife is kind of looking at me going, are you okay? And I'm going, yeah, I'm okay. I'll join a gym later. But right now, I'm gonna, do we have any more of this? It's just like um, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to buy things I don't need. Any of you guys ever do that? You ever buy clothes you don't wear or music you don't listen to? Right, let me introduce myself. My name is Myers Raymer, tool whore. Guys, I've, I've spent a fortune on tools that I don't even know what some of these tools do. 
and I was buying them like that. I mean, my wife is looking at me going, where is all this money coming from? I said, oh, it's okay, it's okay. I've I, I, got to have these for work. Really? You need three hacksaws to, for work. I'm going, well, she didn't know about the other three I already had in the garage. And it's like, I'm buying these things because they're just cool. Um, to this day, when I die, they're going to find a dozen hacksaws in my garage and people are going to be scratching their head going, it must be some kind of weird sex thing because it, it's just like, it's just, why does a man need a dozen hacksaws? It just doesn't make sense. So I go out and take flying lessons and um, uh, I got real proud of myself and uh, I bought an airplane. And then, and then about a year later, I bought another airplane. Got, I mean, they're, they're cool. I mean, really, really. And, and two years later, I bought another airplane. Now, I'm just telling you guys, you only fly one airplane at a time. Why do you need three of them? It's just like, y'all get the picture, though. I'm just, I'm spending money we don't have. Um, oh, there's one more thing. Oh, yeah, girls. Um, every girl in AA is more exciting than my wife. Every girl. I don't care who she is. Which is not a good thing if you want to stay married. It's just, but I can't understand really what's going on. All these years drinking and doing all this crazy stuff, I never once thought about taking my own life. And here I am, five and a half, almost six years by this time, uh, sober. And every day I get up thinking, will today be the day that I kill myself? The depression has come back in spades and I can't hurt. There are days when I can't get out of bed. There are days when I can't function as a man. I can't function as a, as a, as a uh, her, her partner in that business. I just can't do it like that. Um, and I don't know what's going on. I'm going to six meetings a week. I'm sharing everything I can share in these meetings. I'm trying to explain what's going on. And these guys go, oh, Myers, 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 Myers. Yesterday we talked about this. Remember, let me just ask you this question. Did you get up this morning and drink? No, Jim, I didn't. I didn't. Well, then, then you're a winner. And I went, I know, Jim, but if I'm a winner, how come I feel like such a loser? I'm dying here. And he goes, buddy, I, it's going to be okay. You just keep coming back. Maybe you're going to have to do two meetings a day. I don't know what it's going to take. And I went, all they could do is throw these meetings at me. And I, and I love them to death because at least they tried. I mean, at least they were trying to throw something that would work. I had no sponsor. I hadn't worked the steps. I hadn't done anything. My sponsor wore a nice suit of clothes and he was a businessman. So that was my sponsor. Drove a nice black Mercedes. I totally dug him. But we didn't do any of this stuff. I didn't know anything about this. Um... I finally got to a place where I just I knew that it was going to end poorly. Uh, Londa has now moved to the other end of the house again, and she's she's now uh, going to take my daughters to um, another place and uh, move to Houston where her sister is. And and our our marriage is done is done. And so uh, we're we're I don't know what to do. And so uh, Chris, the evil twin, has now moved to the hill country and got something called a big book sponsor. Don't know what that was. Didn't care really. But, but that here's the deal. He was always happy when I talked to him on the telephone. And so I called him and I said, hey, dude, listen, this is getting bad up here in North Texas. I don't know what's going to happen. And he said, hey, let me ask you something. I'm going to be in Dallas um, um, in another two or three days, and we're supposed to, to do a, a talk. Mark Houston was his sponsor at the time. And Mark, Mark was there, and so Mark said, um, uh, why don't you just, uh, we're going to meet some people. Surely we can meet somebody that can help him. And so, so they did. He called me a couple of days later, and he said, i got a guy, a perfect guy for you to meet. Just go meet him. And then about four days later, he called me, and he said, hey, what did you think of that guy? And I went, oh, I didn't, I didn't, go, I didn't call him. And he goes, well, and he just hangs up. 
And I, and I went, ah, oh, dang. And I called him back and I said, you didn't hang up on me, did you? And he said, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm trying to get you some help, but you won't do it. Now, guys, I've watched this in AA jillions of times like that. I mean, it's just like, there used to be an old saying, you can't push somebody up a ladder. I'm not even willing to climb. I mean, I'm just standing there in my own self-pity, uh, coming apart and, and um, wondering when I'm going to kill myself. Um, I finally said okay, and I went over and met this old bastard. And <laughs> he was he was um, he, he was not what I had in mind. Uh, uh, he was old as dirt. Uh, I, I mean, really. I mean, this was 25, 26 years ago, and uh, he was uh, he was a little kind of direct. Where he, I meet him, I said, Mister Mister Bishop, my name is Myers Raymer, and he said, Where's your big book? I'm going, I'm, I thought he was going to say, welcome to my house. He, just like, he, he says, where's, my big, where's your big book? I said, I don't know. I hadn't seen it um, in um, a good bit of time. And I laughed because I thought it was funny. <laughs> and, and he goes like this. He takes his and he says, I tell you what, take mine. And I've been over like that. And he said, but don't ever come back over here without a big book. And I went, eh, yes, sir. And he... You know, have you ever had those moments of clarity where you kind of go like, hey, uh, I'm at a kind of a turning place. I'm at a, at a crossroads here. I better like that. And there's a piece of me that wants to just run back out, jump in my old Land Cruiser and head down the road. And there's another piece that says, if I walk away from here, I'll die. I, I just I have to do something. And so I, I walked on in the house and his wife was in there and, and uh, she later would pick apart all the mystery around Al-Anon and help me with a bunch of issues like that. And, and he started asking me questions and I didn't know any of them. And uh, um, I mean, I've been in the rooms for seven years. and I don't know anything about our program. Don't know who the co-founders are. Don't know anything about our program like that. People go, how is that possible? Well, you should have sobered up where I sobered up. You'd know exactly like that. There were hundreds of us in that meeting, hundreds of us in that group, and we never, ever talked about it. We were even in a meeting one night when we voted God out of the meeting. Somebody happened to say, I think y'all are talking about God too much. And we said, well, maybe we ought to vote on it. And I said, well, maybe we do. And pretty soon somebody said, I make a motion we vote to, to take God out of the meeting. And we did. And I did it with them. I just looked around the room to see where all the hands were, and I went, okay. I didn't know. No wonder we all got sick. No wonder it all got so crazy. I start going to these meetings. Clifford said, would you go with us? There are book studies. We have three of them a week. And I went, yes, sir. And so I started going to those. And I was only going to go long enough to get smart. And then I was going to go back to my old home group and be kind of an icon in that group. (laughs) And... and, uh, um, so I start studying with the, these guys, and, and they're laughing, and everybody's having a good time, and then they have commitments. I don't know what any of this stuff is, but they're carrying the message other places, and I'm driving them around and driving Clifford around, and it's just a completely different thing than I've ever experienced like this. But let me tell you what, what happened was, guys, because this really, um, I got over into the in with these guys, and at the end of a meeting one night, there were, there were actually two things that happened almost at exactly the same time. One... We were reading page 44 in We Agnostics where, the, where they start, uh, Bill Wilson's going to make another run at this, this are, are you or aren't you. Is if, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. Remember that part where they're talking about choice and control. So, so he's asking these questions, and i got my eyes closed, and I'm kicked up against the back wall. And, and he, he reads the first question. I go, yes. And then he goes the second question. I went, yes. And I look around. After the meeting, uh, Philip Files standing there putting chairs up. And I said, Philip, I'm an alcoholic. And he goes, 
keep coming back? I don't know what to say, Myers. It's just like, why are you just figuring this out? And I said, I, I don't know. I just, but I know. I told my wife that, and she kind of looked at me. It was just the whole thing was just kind of crazy. Everybody's going, of course you were an alcoholic. Of course you know that. Guys, I didn't. There was always this lurking notion in there that someday I'd be able to do something like normal people, and I wouldn't. Now, that was thing one that was pretty life-changing for me. The other thing was this, this idea, if you... If you don't have a book, let me read it on page 17. Because it always caught, it caught me completely off guard when we were studying it. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. And I'm thinking, that's so cool. The meeting, this is what I've been doing for seven years, and it, this, is the, this is the coolest. And then Bill ruins it, totally ruins it with the next line. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution. Now, for some of you guys that are smarter than me, that's not a big deal. But for me, this idea that this thing was common was huge. It was transforming because all of a sudden I recognized what these guys had been trying to teach me. That, that what, I'm all the time trying to shoot from the hip with something witty, so you'll think I'm special or whatever. Like that. But, but I didn't understand that the solution was common to all of us like that. How we presented it would be different. Um, there's a million ways to present that. But this, this basic idea of the text, I didn't have to be smart. I didn't have to be witty. I didn't have to be whatever. You fill in the blank. Like that. What I had to do is understand the basic text, which gave credence to this idea that these guys weren't stupid for wanting to study the basic text. Because what, because what they were doing was, there was a guy one time we were having this conversation and he said, oh, so just so y'all, so y'all can be, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of AA Nazis out there beating people up with a big book. Listen, don't go there with me, okay? I'm, I'm pretty laid back until you start throwing that stuff around like this. I, this is, we're not trying to raise up an army of, of people up there beating people up with a big book. What we're trying to raise an army up of are people who understand and know the, 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 the nature of the big book and the transformative piece of this that takes us from A, busted up drunk, to B, recovered alcoholic. That's the, that's the journey like that. And, and when I began to piece it together, golly, it got so much funner. It was just the coolest thing in the whole wide world. Um, in those days, there were very few uh, big book studies in Dallas. Very few. They were really, really rare. And they thought our group was, was Satan incarnate because we didn't have a bunch of discussion meetings and a bunch of other stuff. I'm not knocking any of that stuff. I think there's plenty of room in AA for all of that. I just get a little goofy sometimes because there's so many of them. Tens of thousands of discussion meetings, and, and depending on what geographical area you're in, there may not be any book studies. But then how do you learn the common solution if you're not studying the basic text? Oh, well, if you hang around AA long enough, you'll hear it. Okay, no, so, so stick with me for just a second. I cannot make that line up with my experience. I just simply cannot make it line up. I understand the sentiment. I understand the thought process behind it like that. But I can't, I can't get it to... So, so stick with me a second. So picture the situation. Dick is a, a brand new guy. Brand, green is a gourd. He's been sober for two or three days and he's sitting in a meeting like this. Patrick over here is in a meeting and he shares um, that his sponsor had him work in the steps um, and, and they were through the work in about 45 days and he had this great experience that it was pretty cool and then he finished his share and thank you very much. And he, Dick's over here listening like this. And uh, Rick is over here in this very same meeting and he goes, well, you know, my sponsor, he's having me work the steps over a period of a year or a year and a half. We're going to try to stick to a month every step, but we may be a little longer depending, you know, whatever like this. Now, listen, 
Dick's sitting there with smoke coming out of his ears because he doesn't quite understand like, what is it. I love both of those guys and I think both of them are so cool. And I'm even thinking about asking one or both of them to be my sponsor like that. But they're, they're coming at me with two different... You see, you understand what I'm saying? Remember Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young? Some of you guys are in here old enough to remember those guys. Well, um, in a song that they did a jillion years ago, there was a, a line in there that said, Confusion has its cost. And, and here's where we stand sometimes on this, guys. We, we allow confusion in the meeting, and then we expect the newcomer, Dick, to sort it out um, and hopefully come out the other side okay. And sometimes he does, but statistically he doesn't. Based on what we learned from New York statistics and this kind of stuff, it's, it's not working really well for him like that. Let me give you another fast illustration. There was a gal one time in AA that I loved to death, and she's still sober today, and she's just a sweetheart. Just a... And I'd been sober about four years, and we were sitting in a meeting one night, and after the meeting she was helping me pick up ashtrays and stuff, and she said, you know, Myers, I didn't, I didn't work any of those steps to get sober. And I went, no kidding. What would you do? And she goes like this, and she looks around like this, and she looks like this, like make sure nobody's listening, and she goes, yoga. And I went... What? And she said, yoga. And I went, huh. Now, I'm not ragging on yoga. I practiced it for, for a long, long time. I love it. Um, my only regret in life is that I stopped, I stopped it. Um, uh, it, it it's, it's badass stuff. But, but understand, I'm at the turning point here trying to figure out what to do around these steps and stuff and, and, and around getting sober. I'm dying inside. And, and so, she, so I can work the work and do things that make me feel kind of uncomfortable, like... like inventory and amends and this kind of stuff. Or I could, yeah, be in a room with hot women, all sweaty. Yeah, yoga. That's the ticket. Y'all, maybe I ought not to talk about it like that. Hey, listen, y'all remember... Y'all remember a quote from Bill Wilson where he talks about it? It, 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 it? It's in that archive off thing next door over there. They've got a picture of Bill Wilson standing there like that. Our chief responsibility to the newcomer was an adequate presentation of the program. Our chief responsibility to the newcomer was an adequate presentation of the program. So guys, if that's the case, then how come we have so many men and women in our rooms that don't know anything about the program? They know everything about your mother-in-law. They know everything about your kids. They know everything about your problem shopping and looking at weasel porn. They know everything that's out there like that. Or whatever. But you don't... But they don't know anything about the program. How do I know that? Because I've sponsored a lot of old crusty bastards like me. I've, qu- I've quoted... I've, I've sponsored a lot of these guys that get out there and years and years and years into the deal. And some of you all know that. You can spend five years in the rooms and you're an icon. I mean, you got your special place and, and all this stuff like this. I mean, being, you, you don't have to say anything and nobody's going to say, hey, did you do that step? Nobody cares like that. And so when you share stuff, it all just kind of nestles down into this place where we have a sea of men and women, again, depending on where you're from, who don't know anything about the program. And this is problematic. And this is the stuff that, that those, they were trying to get me to do. So, so let me... So for two years, I studied with these guys. I never did go back to my old home group. I just stayed and studied with Clifford, and, those, and, and we, we had a, a, a great time. And, and uh, I'm still not doing much of anything, and I'm not sponsoring anybody. I'm just, just an active member there doing, doing what, what 
kind of what they were doing. And anyway, one night we're, we're, I'm looking around the room and, and there was a, a, a gal sharing and I was looking at her and then I looked at the guy next to her and, I went, and all of a sudden I went, holy cow, I'm not like any of these guys. And, I, and I, I asked Clifford afterwards, I said, I'm still not like you, am I? And he goes, nope, not at all. And I said, what do I do? And, and I'll never forget it. He takes his glasses off and he looked at the ceiling and he kind of goes... <sighs> I'll tell you what, do this. Um, you either get busy and do what we do, or you need to go away. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I, it's Tuesday night, I'll be back on Thursday. I think he's just meaning like that. And then all of a sudden it occurs to me that he's meaning go away, bye-bye, forever. And I went, wow. So what am I supposed to do? And he said, come with me to the Salvation Army. And I said, Clifford, I drive you to the Salvation Army every week. He says, I know. You, go, you drive me down there, you pass out the books, then you lean against the back wall and mess with your cell phone until we're done. And then you pick up the books and walk outside and talk to your homies. But you never stay talking to these guys. You're not doing anything to help us there. And I'm going, oh, come on, man. I just, you're just being sensitive. And, and he said, you're the one that asked me, if you want to be like us, if you want to be a part of who we are, you're going to have to start getting busy. And so I did. And I, I won't go into a whole bunch of story, but it, it just, everything changed the moment I did. I went down there the next night. They tricked me. Nobody showed up. I had to do the whole show by myself. <laughs> yeah, they, they say they didn't, but, but it, every, and everything shifted. I'm telling you guys, everything shifted that one night. I get done with this thing. I go back the next day. I'm, I'm kind of blown away when I, when I get there. Uh, this guy, we get done with the meeting and this guy, um, by the way, I'm feeling like Jimmy Swagger. I'm up there all sweaty and just like I'm having the time of my life talking about something because I actually understood a little bit about what alcoholism was by now. And, um, and these guys are digging it. And after the meeting, we had five guys walked up and said, would you sponsor me? Now, I've not sponsored anybody and now I've got five guys and there's a piece of me that wants to go, damn, I should have quit while I was ahead. I could have milked this for a long time. Uh, and then there was another part that went, holy cow. And I called Clifford and I said, what do I do? And he started laughing. And it's never been the same since then. It, it, nothing has ever been the same. E everything that I've done in AA since then has been um, sort of um, um, kind of transformed. Um, how many of you guys remember an, an old dude in AA land named uh, Don Pritz? Passed away some years ago like that. The, the, uh, Pritz was sort of an iconic AA guy that was just really uh, pretty special. Um, in a talk that he had done years and years and years ago like that, um, there was a little line in there where he was talking about, he said, at some point in time, we, we um, stopped talking about recovery and just talked about sobriety. Um, and it meant something to me because I understood what the deal is. Guys, uh, we have a sea of men and women that are sober, quote unquote, but most of us have sat in meetings with some of those guys that are sober, in big quotation marks, that are powder dry and angry at everybody and would, would just as soon uh, not be there. Um, there's a huge difference in just being sober and being happy too. I mean, what, what Prince was talking about is that we could recover. The book is clear about this stuff from the title page all the way over to the back of the book. In 30 different places they talk about the fact that we've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. In the old days they talked about it all the time. And over the years we've moved farther and farther away from that idea and then we, all we've done is, is we've moved from a written translation, a transmitting of what's here in the text to an oral transmission which is dangerous. I mean, all you got to do is just say something you don't want shared to a homie of yours and then listen to it later spew out of somebody else's mouth and it's completely changed around. That oral stuff is dangerous stuff. And yet we see it all the time done like that. Like people who never carry a book, they won't share this. 
how many, how many of you guys remember, some of you guys that are studying kind of guys, you all remember the stories in the front of the book and, and uh, more about alcoholism and there's a solution. Remember the two stories that are in there about Jim's story and Fred's story? So in both of those illustrations, Jim and Fred both um, uh, get sober and then get loaded. They get right in the middle of it again, like this. And then when they sober up again, when they come back, it's the same description in both of the stories. They look exactly the same. And in both those situations, they call AA. AA comes back over there and sees them. And listen to what he says, because it's fascinating. He says, he says, when he called us, we told him what we knew about alcoholism. It didn't say, he, when he called, we came over and told him our story again. Listen, I'm not knocking your story. We all got to have a story. I'm just, I'm just saying, guys, sometimes we just beat the story to death. And, and it, it's like, I mean, how many of you guys have heard the same story over and over and over again by homies in your group and you love them to death, you take a bullet for them, you love them that much, but you just, you know their story better than they know their story like that. At some point in time, the book says that we ought to be clear enough about what our alcoholism looks like that we could share what that is. Could we tell a brand new guy about a physical component of alcoholism and a mental component of alcoholism? Could we talk about a spiritual malady? Uh, could we talk about restless, irritable, and discontent? These big ticket items on this thing. Could we teach that stuff? Instead of, if you, if you think I'm off base here, what I want you to do is just, just, just as a sample like that, the next time you have an opportunity to bring something in a meeting like that as a topic, bring this as a topic like that. Uh, let's talk about um, 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 what our alcoholism looks like. What's, what, what is alcoholism to you? And I guarantee you, you'll have Dick sitting in the meeting and he'll share something about, about um, uh, a mental obsession or the physical allergy. He'll share something that's on point. And then somewhere in the first couple of people that will share, they'll go, oh, you know, I know. But, for, you know, for me, and then they'll start talking about this DWI. They'll start talking about something else. And then all of a sudden, everybody slides forward in their chair because now I don't have to worry about what I'm talking about. I already know what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to tell my story again like that. And so, and then there were these collie dogs, and we've had a, a uh, quit, quit. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to hear all that. There's a perfect time for a story. The book's clear on it. Chapter 7, Working with Others. When you first meet somebody, you better have a story. You better be able to, uh, to identify with each other like that. That's why it is. I just... From this crusty old guy, you better also know what alcoholism is because at some point in time you're going to have to explain to this guy what the disease looks like uh, if you're going to get him through any, any piece of this like this. And you can't leave it up to somebody else to do it. Somebody's got to, somebody's got to do that. Listen, <clears throat> crap, I've got to finish this. Um, so let me... <laughs> We've run out of time. That, that, um, I haven't told this story in a long time. I, I, I just... I just there was a, um, I, I talked to so many people that go, I don't understand why you mention any of this because AA is the same as it's always been and always will be. It's going to be okay. And I'm going, okay, once you start studying some history and you know what it was like, then all you got to do is just look around you and see what's going on. Um, in the Dallas area, um, uh, we've got uh, a, a number of groups that won't let you take big books into a meeting. You can't, you can't, if, you, if you're walking into a meeting with a big book, they'll tell you to take it around, t- turn around and go put it back in your, in your truck. Um, there's, a, uh, there's groups down there that are charging money for fifth steps. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I asked somebody, I said, how much money are they charging for a fifth step like that? And the guy said, well, it depends on how good a fifth step you want. I know, I'm, but I'm not making this up. I mean, this, this is the truth. Like, I, I was talking to a lady, uh, this was a couple of years ago, um, I'd done a talk up in... 
Oklahoma. And when I got home, I got a call the next day and this lady said, oh, crap, we missed you. I, my, my husband had relapsed and he's struggling and I just really wanted him to meet you. And I'm really sorry that we missed you at the deal. And I said, well, how's he doing? And he goes, well, he, he's OK. He's OK. And I said, well, he's all plugged back in again. Does he have a group and a home group and a sponsor? And he goes, oh, no, he can't go back to AA. And I went, what do you mean? He said, oh, he can't go back to AA until he's been sober for 30 days. What? What? I mean, this is. There was a, a place out. I'm not going to tell you where it is because these people will come kill me if they find out that I'm telling the story. But we saw. It'll be our little secret, okay? Uh, these guys had asked me to come do a talk one night, and uh, I drove over there. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's about a two and a half, three hour drive from Dallas, and. Um, it literally is in the middle of nowhere, and, and it's a kind of a recreational area, and I'm dressed just like this. And I go uh, up to this deal, and well, I got there early. I, I can't believe I drove right to it. This is before GPS, too. I just I found it. There it was. And so I walk in, and there's a guy right in front of me, and he walks through the place. He opens the door, waves at me like this, and then walks through the back door and leaves. He just disappears. And so I'm sitting in the meeting for like 25 minutes with nobody else in the meeting. And so I went, well, so I get up and make coffee and just... just I don't know what else to do. And so I'm, I'm making this coffee and, and uh, some people start coming in and I'm waving at them and they wave back at me like this and I'm sitting at the table and they have a big U-shaped table in there and uh, these other people are coming in and filling in and I'm thinking, this is so odd. Nobody's talked to me yet. Okay, I'm just telling you. nobody. So, so uh, after a bit, this lady comes walking in the door and she's got a great big doll, a big plastic doll about this big. And she's got it under her arm, and she walks in, and she sits down kind of catty corner across from me, and she starts playing with this doll. And I'm just looking at it going, okay. I mean, you don't see that in AA every day like that. And I'm just kind of sitting there waiting for the meeting to start. It's about ten minutes until eight, and I'm supposed to talk at eight. And so I'm looking around the room, and all of a sudden this other lady comes in, kind of a younger version of that lady. I think it's mother-daughter, but I'm not sure. And she's got a doll. And so they're sitting down there like this, and they're next to each other, and they're walking these dolls around this table, and you can hear their little plastic feet on these dolls hitting the tabletop like this, and I'm just looking at it like that. Now, let, let me hit pause for just a minute, okay? Let me just, do any of you guys remember a show called, um, like, Outer Limits or Twilight Zone or something like that? Okay, stick with me. There was a show that was in there like this where, where aliens would come down and get, get people and once they got you, there was a little stinger hanging out the back of your neck like that. Some of y'all may have seen that one like that. So I'm in this room literally going to, to, see, to see if I can see a stinger hanging out of the back of these ladies' head, necks like that. So it gets really, really quiet in there and there's nobody making any sound and all of a sudden I hear this, wah, 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 wah. And I look over there and these ladies are talking doll talk to each other on the table. Now, these are full grown people, okay? And, and, and I'm just like this. And they're walking them around and playing with them like this, like they're scuffling and stuff. And I'm thinking, holy shit. This, like... <laughs> We're now ten minutes after eight. And I'm sitting in this meeting and this guy stands up and he says, well, we were supposed to have a speaker tonight. And I'm, and I'm looking around like that. Guys, listen. These guys are in cutoffs and muscle shirts. Okay? I mean, and, and I'm so, I just kind of looked at him. I said, I bet that's me. And he said, okay. And he sits down. No introduction. No thanks for driving forever. No, you know, just, <clears throat> I got, okay. I'd been wondering what I was going to talk about that night. And uh, <clears throat> that was the night I invented the word spankathon. Um, it... <laughs> 
I just, I, it was pretty ugly. Now listen, wh- why would I tell you this story? I, 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 um, I, w- I, within a year after that, maybe a little bit more, but not much, my oldest daughter uh, would find herself hopelessly twisted up in the booze and dope, and she would be in the rooms. And the question that begs to be asked is, what if she'd walked into that meeting? I'm just saying, Myers, you have no right to judge anybody. Tradition 4, remember they can do it. I get that. I get that. I'm just saying, come on, guys, without something that sets the baseline, where were the steps? Where was the transformative experience with our Creator in that doll nightmare? Where? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as open and inclusive as I can be. It just gets... But y'all get that, right? This is, all, this is all I'm saying like that. I just... It, it's just sort of one of those kind of things. Um, the, let me tell you the cool thing. There's a couple of cool things that come out of all that. Um, one is, is that um, it's so seldom that that stuff happens anymore. I travel a lot. And I go to a lot of AA stuff and this kind of stuff. And what I'm excited about is that there's so many people that have discovered the book for the very first time and that are so excited to be back in something that... Um, guys, if you've never, ever studied the basic text, some of you young rascals that are in here that have just got here, welcome. Uh, I, I love you already. Um, one of the coolest things about understanding the basic text is, is that it takes all the frustration and fear out of uh, sponsorship. Because I, I realize that what I need is right there. All I simply have to do is do this. I don't take them on to raise. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the morning. We were in our little workshop in the morning. And I, I just, it's just the coolest thing in the world. Uh, so um, I want to tell you one more real quick story. Uh, there was a, um, If you go to the Dallas area um, after 5 o'clock in the evening or before 8 o'clock in the morning, there's a real good chance that you're going to talk to one of our members we uh, take the night watch program in the Dallas area and uh, we just take it from the intergroup office. They just turn it over to us and we just rotate them out. And, and so uh, uh, we'll answer the phone all night long uh, for those guys that are calling. And it's the, it's, we've been doing it for years and years. It's, it's really fun stuff to do. And uh, so I get this call one night about 2 o'clock in the morning from this guy named Matt. And Matt says, hey, Myers. And I'm going, Matt, you know what time it is? And he said, yeah, it's, it's late. And I said, I know, you better be bleeding to call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. And he said, I, I got a problem. I got, I got something that I need to, to, to run past you. And I said, okay. And he said, I'm doing night watch, and I've been talking to this lady all evening, off and on, and her dad is in California, and he wants to get sober. And I said, buddy, rumor has it that they have AA in California. I mean, we'll, let's let him get hooked up out there. And he, he goes, well, she, he wants to sober up here where, where his daughter is, and they've been talking back and forth, and so he wants to come to Dallas. And I said, well, has he got any money? He goes, no, that's, the pro- that's part of the problem. And I said, well, I got some. I said, you got any? And he said, yeah. And so we made another couple of calls, and we ended up with enough money that we could get him here. Uh, God bought him a bus ticket from California. And... Um, and he spent three days. It took, it took almost three days to get here from California because of all the stops and starts. It, and I don't know who I feel sorry or for. Him detoxing on that, poor, on that bus or the people sitting around him. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that must have been to, for, to get there like that? Well, he gets there on a Tuesday night, the night of our big meeting, and it's, he's too sick to come to the meeting. And then he, Thursday night, we got him on some meds, and he got a little calmer, and he was doing okay. But the doc said, don't, don't, don't get too much on him. Let's let him sit for a little bit more. So Saturday night, he's there at the meeting. And he's still shaky and he's still, I mean, he's in, he's in, 
He's better shape, but he's goofy. And, and so we're standing there talking, and they have a stage at one end of that room, and I'm set up on that, on that stage, and he's there, and we're just talking about a bunch of stuff. And I look up, and there's this guy coming through the door. And when I look over here, I go, oh, crap. It's a guy right in off the street. He's got his hairs all look like it was combed by a gerbil. It's all licked up, and, and it's just like flies. And you, y'all remember what, I mean, there, there's a smell. That, some of these little cats that come in off the street, the alcohol on your skin and stuff, that... that uh, Oh, it's like nectar to me. I love that smell, but but it's it's pretty it's pretty special. But but so I'm looking around the room for some of the guys that I sponsor to try to get them to come over and help me with this. Thing. I got my hands full with Dennis, and and uh, and I can't find anybody. And so I go, okay, all right, Matt, you take care of him, and I'm going to go. And then I went, wait a minute, let's do, let's get this going here, Matt. I mean, uh, uh, Dennis, do me a favor. That guy that just walked in the room, and now this guy is just standing right inside the door, leaning up against the wall. He's like this. And I said, Dennis, do me a favor. Um, go over and greet that guy that just came in. Just go over there and say hey to him. And Dennis looks at me and he goes, no. And I said, no, Dennis, really, I'm not asking you to sponsor the guy. Just go over there, walk up to him and say, welcome to Primary Purpose Group Dallas, and show him where the coffee is. He said, I don't even know where the coffee is. I said, it's right there where the coffee pot is. And he goes, okay, all right. And then he looks back at me like I'm going to change my mind, and I, and I just went, go on, like that. And he goes, okay. And he's just walking on. Dennis hadn't been, hadn't been detoxed a week. Okay, so he walks over there like this and I can't hear them. They're talking like this. And a couple of minutes later, they start walking back this direction like this. Dennis has got his hand on this guy's shoulder and they're walking back past us like this and walking over where the deal is. And he shows him where the coffee and then he's pointing what I think was to the bathroom. I'm not sure. And they're they're visiting. And well, so when he walks back over this way like this, I look like this and I went, Matt, look. And Matt's looking at him and and I go in and Matt and uh, Matt starts laughing and, and, and I went, holy shit. Dennis gets right over here close enough that I can talk to him again. I said, Dennis, what would you tell him? And, and scouts on her. He goes just like this. He goes, well, <clears throat> I just told him how we do things around here. And <laughs> Dennis walks past me and there's, he sits up on the stage and he kind of jumps up on the stage and he's sitting there and he puts his arms up like this and Matt's standing there. Matt's looking at me and I'm looking at him and we can't stop laughing like this. I'm telling you right now, Dennis is sitting two inches taller than he was when he was sitting there before like this. And for 15 minutes before that meeting started, Dennis from California owned Primary Purpose Group Dallas. <laughs> owned it. It was the coolest thing in the whole wide world. <clears throat> I've had people that say, I don't, I don't get it. I don't quite understand what you're talking about. Guys, it took me seven years plus two, so I'm almost approaching nine years sober before I ever got off my ass and did anything to help anybody. I didn't do anything except some little service stuff. I'd wash an ashtray and this kind of stuff, but I'm not going to do anything else. Because my head, and my head is my worst enemy, um, um, will convince me that I can't do it. Guys, let me tell you something, especially some of you younger guys that are in here like this. Guys, it is amazing the story that your head will sell you. Clifford used to say, Myers, it's not teaching you the new stuff that's the problem. I can teach you the steps. I can teach you all of this kind of stuff. It's getting you to unlearn all those old ideas that may be part of a problem like that. And I, and I get what he's saying. Left on my own devices, I'm too scared to do anything to do anything to, to, with anybody else. Anything that makes me feel uncomfortable. So if it's sponsorship, no, 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 no. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't. There's plenty of people to do that. 
I have people all the time. I had a guy come up uh, not two weeks ago, come up and say, you know what, I, don't, I think that maybe you can sponsor one or two people in the whole time you're in AA. And I went, no, are you serious? And he goes, oh, absolutely I'm serious. And I went, holy shit, if you would change that attitude, maybe I wouldn't have to sponsor so many guys. Come on. I just like... It's... it's um... We're kind of in an uphill battle sometimes, guys, because you got a lot of people from, from what, what happened to us in the early 80s uh, and the late 70s after the Hughes Act in 1971. We ended up with a lot of people that ended up in AA that didn't really need to be here. They're welcome to be here. Remember, the only requirement for AA is a desire to stay, to, to be a member of AA is a desire to stay, stay uh, sober. You, you, you need to, and, and I get that. The problem we run into is that when you have a sea of people that don't understand the basic text and you're just based on people's opinions, well, I'm the real deal. Patrick is a little disco drunk. He doesn't even really need to be here, you see? So what do you think he's going to share in a meeting? Meeting makers make it. You just need to do 90 and 90. Myers, you need to just... And he'll just start listing the aphorisms. i got no problems with them. Sort of. But, but you understand what I'm saying. I'm just saying you all have to pay attention. But if you, have the, if you understood the text, then you'd have a baseline that was set, and then you would know and understood. Are those people still free to share what they want to? Yes. But I don't have to do any head-scratching on what's real and what's not. And I can help the new guys in there understand what's real and, and, and what's not. There's nothing that you're going to do, um, and if you don't take away anything from this except this, um, it's, it's really important. Um, somewhere along the line, we have to stop this idea that 12-step work is optional, that it's something that you do if you get the job, get the girl, get the car, get the, you just start filling in the blank like this. And we, we have a sea of men and women that do this kind of stuff. And your head's always selling the idea, I don't have to do this, I don't have to do this. And unfortunately, you have a lot of lovely people sitting in the rooms that will validate that thought process. That's okay, sugar, you're, you just take your time, there'll be plenty of time to do that later. I, I get it, I'm just saying, I, I, Guys, without love, the book is nothing. You've got to have love in the middle of this kind of stuff. But love also means that sometimes you've got to tell people the truth. Dude, you're taking up space here. You're, you're smoking a lot of cigarettes. You're drinking a lot of coffee. But you're not doing anything to help anybody else. And I have died in AA for seven years, three weeks shy of seven years, because nobody had the courage to tell me that. That the, that the biggest single piece of this puzzle that I was supposed to be doing, I wasn't doing, and had a head that validated the whole thing. Completely. I, I felt perfectly vindicated in not doing that stuff. And the reality of it was, the moment I got off my rear and took some action towards sponsorship, towards being an active member, towards carrying a message someplace else, um, everything shifted. Everything changed. Um, it's like, y'all get that, right? In the old days, my wife drove me crazy, my kids drove me crazy, my, my job, I hated it. I, I mean, it's, it's a bad situation when your name is on the side of a building and you hate the job. I mean, it just usually doesn't end well, you know? And, and, and I'm just going, and because some crusty old guy like Clifford had the courage to tell me the truth, when it would have been easier just to ignore me and let me come and do my crap like that, he, he, had, he told me what was important and everything changed. And the funny part about it was is that one day I, I woke up and realized that my wife was different and my job was different and those crazy kids were different. Everything was different. And they didn't change at all. 
It was me that changed on this kind of stuff. So let me connect this thing up real quick. So, so remember we, we, we overnight almost went broke in that binary business when I made a fool of ourselves with that getting drunk with, with people's work. These are irreplaceable heirloom books, and I'm drunk when I'm working on them. It's not a good thing. Um, and so when we got rid of all of them, I thought maybe in a little bit all of that stuff would go away and people would start sending them back again. And, uh, and Londa, the smart one, was we were sitting at dinner one night and she said, um, don't you think it, maybe it, it'd probably be a good idea for you to make an amends to these people because you sure messed them up. They were scared to, to death that you had messed up their work. And I went, well, you know, it's just, that's way down the road. That's, that's in the past. I'm okay. This is classic Myers, okay? I, it's okay, it's okay. And she said, no, no, really, maybe you ought to. And so I went, okay. I wanted to just give her a noogie. It was just like, I don't... So I saw all the museum guys locally. I went and saw them personally, and then I wrote uh, uh, letters to the ones I could. I flew to L.A. and made amends out there. I flew to New York, made amends out there. I flew to Chicago, made amends there. I didn't fly to Europe because I didn't have the coin to do it, but I wrote letters to all the places in Europe that sent work to us like that. And, um, and we still didn't get much of that work back. Every once in a while we would get some. Fortunately, Londa's smart enough that she got us into a deal making menu covers and a bunch of presentation stuff, and we did okay. It was a, it was a fine transition into a bunch of different work. And, and we did okay. Um, it wasn't two years ago. Um, I got a call from this guy, and the call sounds like this. He goes, hey, is this Myers? And I went, yeah. And he said, Myers, um, this is Sid. And I went, Sid? And he goes, yeah, Sid. And I won't say his last name, but he's, he's the, the guy that ha- heads the Museum of Fine Arts in, in Los Angeles. And, he, and I said, oh, no kidding. How are you doing? And he said, I'm okay. I'm all right. And I said, I said what's going on? And he said, bud, let me ask you a question. Are you still doing that A&A thing? <laughs> and I went, yes, sir. I, I am. I am. And he said, huh. And I said, are you okay? And he said, oh, I'm I'm Okay. And then there's this long pause. And then he goes, but my son's not. And I went, huh, tell me what's going on. And then Sid shares this story and we could get help for the kid and get him kind of gathered up and do what, what we do. And, um, and I still talk to this kid every week. He's calling me and uh, we're having the time of our life. He's sober and kicking it, doing, doing great. And, and I just, guys, so, so let, me, let me finish with this real quick. Every day we stand at this turning point. We, we, we get up in the morning and we have decisions that we can make. I, I don't make a decision to stay sober today. I don't make it, you know, today I'm not gonna, I, make, I made the choice I'm not going to drink today. That, that's not what we're talking about. Um, we, we make choices to pray. We make choices to meditate. We make choices to make ourselves available to people who are hurting um, to be in a position where we can alter the course of somebody's life and in some cases save those lives. You see what I'm saying? And the only requirement was for us to be um, genuine, uh, to care what was going on, um, and to be aware of the fact that day by day, our relationship with our Creator can be affected in a hundred different ways. Um, I hear people say, God's so important to me. And I say, well, how much time did you spend with God today? And they always laugh. It's funny. I used to do the same thing. But the reality of it is, is that um, in, in, in my job working in treatment that I do part-time, I'm amazed at how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men and women I've talked to over the years who were doing fine 
and then they're not. And you ask them what they're doing, and they go, well, I'm still going to some meetings. I said, I didn't ask you that. What I'm, tell me what your day looks like. Are you, where are you around praying and where are you around meditating and where are you around some of this other stuff? I only really want to know two things. Where are you with God and where are you with God's kids? Those are two primary questions that need to be asked. And once we know that, the problem we get to, guys, is that we tend to drift away from this stuff. We just simply stop doing Somebody said in a talk I heard one time, he said, Myers, we're the only group of people on God's green earth that takes what works and then stops doing it. And I, and I can totally get it. I can totally relate to that whole thing. How very blessed we are um, that with a little effort on our part, we could be in a place to where we could not only deepen our own relationship with our Creator, but that we could be in a position to save somebody's life. I'm truly, truly grateful to be a part of that um, and hope that God allows me to be around for a bunch more years so I can stay here with nice folks like y'all. Thank y'all so much. Yeah.